0: Hello everyone and welcome to this episode of The Debated Podcast, which is a recording uh, based on the 2021 end of year live episode live stream. Um, The first 12 minutes or so of the podcast come from the first attempt um, to do the live stream, um, but only feature myself and Conrad, and then the podcast going on from that features all the guests. I hope you enjoy listening to this episode. Apologies as it is slightly cobbled together uh, from the recording of the live stream. Uh, thank you for listening, and on with the episode. Dude, we are going to energise the country. We need to
1: wake up and smell the coffee. The Independence Keys is a powerful one. Another future is possible,
2: but we've got to fight for it.
1: Order!
0: Hello everybody listening, Uh, this is the Debated Podcast live stream, the very first live episode. Um, We should hopefully be getting everyone uh, on very soon, Um, so, you know, it's just going to be a case of uh, waiting, Uh, hopefully there won't be too many technical difficulties, Uh, I hope. Oh, we have uh, Conrad here, let me just add him Hello. Hello, can you hear me Conrad? Yeah. I can hear you. you. You're broadcasting live on the live stream now. You've uh, entered the chat. So uh, how are you? I hope everything's going uh, well for you at the moment. Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, not bad. How are you? Yes, no, no, I'm doing well. I mean, obviously, we'll be getting into this when the uh, the podcast really gets going. But um, there's obviously been some quite uh, worrying news related to potential new Restrictions being implemented, aren't there? And I think that that's something that is going to be on a lot of people's minds uh, today, don't you think? Yeah, I think so.
3: I think it's all anyone's worried about at the moment, really.
0: Yeah, Um, absolutely. And and I think... um, I mean, I don't think it's going to be hopefully affecting your Christmas plans too much, but I imagine it will be affecting the Christmas plans of a lot of people um, that we know. Uh, I, I think that'll probably be the case. Yeah, I mean, personally
3: the impact shouldn't be too bad but Mm -hmm. um yeah it's about everyone really and you know it's all the especially all the businesses who have you know got their christmas lunches Christmas parties all those kind of things new year's parties that all booked out in hospitality and restaurants and things um they're going to be you know wondering whether they're going to have any business left in the new year
0: absolutely and i think um that's something that's been a, a you know a real uh, concern for many people hasn't it for many businesses um that it, it it's just a, a a case of well what's going to be uh happening if there aren't any uh you know support for um businesses which obviously we've we, we've not really seen any sort of like moves towards greater support at the moment have we um,
3: no, I mean, uh, if Rishi flew back to, um, to have some discussions, but there's not been any announcement of any new funds yet. I mean, I think they'll need to, if, certainly if they bring in a, a lockdown, which is the the rumour. Yeah, yeah even, even to be honest, with it as at the moment, there's you know a lockdown almost by stealth in terms of how it's affecting a lot of businesses because they're telling people not to go out. And if you're going to tell people not to go out, then a lot of people won't, and then that's going to still have the impact, but they're not going to have all the support that they had in, like, the first lockdown.
0: No, absolutely, and I think that, um, you know, if there just isn't uh, that support, that's going to really have a a major effect, not just on the economy next year, but also on um, potential, you know, um, local elections, elections, because, of course, we're going to be having uh, local and regional elections next year, aren't we? And that might harm the Conservatives' Uh, prospects.
3: It could do, yeah. I mean, um, I certainly, obviously, we've seen with the by-election in North Shropshire and even before that in Cheshire and Amersham, that sort of there are people disillusioned with the party at the moment who want to sort of protest vote. And local elections have traditionally been a outlet for protest votes, even though it might not necessarily seem fair obviously it's not got anything to do with the um the local councillors you know they're mm. not the ones setting the restrictions but um you know they they will get sort of the the brunt of the punishment in 2022 i would think
0: yeah and i think that as you say this is something that's going to be really um going forward and it's going to be a great uh difficulty um for you know uh, particularly defending councillors because of course um a lot of councils may inadvertently uh be blamed mightn't they i mean obviously the, the main association is uh with the government but you know I, I I think people do have a tendency to um lash out where they think that you know um it's it's, it's the most blame uh for people and sometimes that might be their local councillor or their, or their local MP, you know, saying if they didn't vote one way or the other, that oh well, you know, it's not um, it's not exactly uh, just the government's fault; it's the, the particular local member of parliament's fault as well.
3: Yeah, I mean, I think um, obviously there was a, um, there, there might be differences in that across the country because obviously there's, there was a lot of MPs about 100 who voted against sort of the vaccine passport. I, I don't know how many are going to vote against the next lockdown if it if it happens but i'm sure there will be ones voting against and i wonder if they'll sort of see some of their support
0: retained in their areas yeah exactly and as, as you say it could be a case that um particular uh you know voters um don't uh support um MPs or councillors who they feel haven't uh you know voted the way uh that they wanted uh to um so I'm not quite sure what's happened uh with our other guests there are meant to be uh, two other guests uh on this episode of the podcast there seems to be some um slight technical difficulties with them coming into the studio uh for some reason so we'll uh you know, just uh, have a bit of a chat for a moment, see if we can uh, get them. Yes, the um, perils
3: of doing it live,
0: isn't they? Yes, the perils of doing it live, absolutely. <laughs> uh, this is probably the first time that we've ever done an episode live. Um, but, I mean, next year we're going to be seeing some interesting elections as well, aren't we, in um, both the US and uh, France, presidential elections in France and midterm elections in in uh, the United States. I mean, how much do you think COVID is going to impact on those elections as well?
3: Well, I think, um, obviously, it's still going to be, well, COVID is not going to go away. As, um, mm-hmm. as Although some people seem to think that it will, if you just lock down hard enough. But um, you know, it's not, it, it will be here for, you know, for the long term. So you have to learn to live with it. And that's going to have its impacts on all sorts of you know different areas of people's lives and I think there's different ways in which sort of COVID will impact elections that we that you know obviously the obvious thing is like you know, sports are different policies and dire- directly on public health but there's also like the secondary policies like things on the education we already saw in mm. Virginia we saw the um, yeah um, Glenn youngkin win a, a, a slightly shock result and a, a big victory, and that was you know education was this big thing, and a lot of people were against the schools being shut. and you know and it's, you know having that home schooling meant they had more interest in sort of what their kids were actually learning mm. and that sort of led to um a lot of the sort of backlash against what was being taught in schools so um I think there there's sort of all these other areas that are going to come out of COVID that aren't even directly um, linked to it. But I think they will impact, you know, elections for years to come, maybe even decades to
0: come. Uh, yeah, no, I think you're right that there uh, will certainly be, uh, you know, uh, elections to come that may be going out from COVID and impacting. It. I mean, certainly, I think, as, as you say, um, the Glenn Youngkin victory has certainly had a uh, I think an impact on um, the way that, you know, democratic uh, politics will function in the US. And I think it's also going to have an impact on the way that the Democrats view themselves in particular um, states. I think that, you know, if if we're going to see a shift, it's going to be not necessarily as people thought against the sort of like the Trumpian politics uh, of before, though, of course, Youngkin wasn't uh, exactly, you know, as, as close with Donald Trump uh, in certain instances as perhaps he could have been. Um, do you think then that the relationship between COVID and Trump's defeat may have been a bit underplayed uh, or overplayed? Do you think that um, when it comes to, to 2024, if Trump is the Republican candidate, that his handling of the virus will play much into people's minds?
3: Well, I think um, it will play into some people's minds. Um, I think, you know, Trump probably would have won if it wasn't for, for COVID, mm-hmm. you know, because, I mean, the the economy was his sort of big, strong point and he had to, or uh, not even just him, but governors, because it had to be shut down for, for a time, which was, um, yeah, didn't do it much favours. But, um, yeah, I mean, even even with that, he did increase his support, especially amongst Hispanics. Um, and you saw his vote increasing in sort of rural parts of Texas, um, that are you know border counties that are very Hispanic, and there's bits of Florida as well. And that was um, that's been attributed. Obviously, I don't know it's sort of down to the individual, but that's been attributed partly to being to do with the you know they preferred. Trump's sort of COVID policy mm-hmm. of keeping things open. So, um, I guess it works both ways. In that, some people might have said, "Oh, he didn't do enough." Some people said, "He, you know, he, he did about right." Maybe some people think he did still did too much, you know, because he's if mm. um, you're know, very hardcore anti-vax, you know, Trump did promote the vaccine very strongly. Yeah, um, you know, more more than um, than a lot of um, sort of very anti-vax people might have expected him to. So there's, I guess there's, there's all sorts of different elements which 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 would come into how we'd view his COVID response. But um, yeah, I think that's still going to be in people's minds next time round? Um, I think Trump will want to sort of focus on what it was like for the years before that. I think look at the economy for most of my presidency rather than just looking at the the, the last year when. When it was, you know, all the uh, the COVID stuff came in, but um, I think, yeah, Trump. I mean, I think he will be running again. So mm. I guess it's, it's time will tell whether how much that will actually impact him. I mean, it seems to be at the moment he'd probably be favourite if it was against Joe Biden, but um, obviously, there's still you know a few years left.
0: So yeah. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of things could change uh, between then. We're also hoping things are going to change in a few minutes. I'm going to just be um, briefly uh, ending the live stream uh, so that we can try and get our other two guests on. Everybody um, is here. So the first question uh, that I'd like to ask is, what do we all think has been the biggest political news story? Of the year, if we leave Covid aside for one moment, what do we think has been the single biggest sort of political um, news story of the year? Torin, if you would like to kick off and start, in some ways, it's an and it, I think it's a weird one,
2: it's kind of Covid related, but probably more um, to do with the Conservatives. Is uh Dominic Cummings' trip to Barnard Castle to test out his eyesight on a motorway? Um, in part because you know, obviously, it's it's a, a horrendous excuse that you would ever test your eyesight um, with fast-moving vehicles. Um, but I, I think also the fact that it, it kind of was the beginning of what I think now we're just seeing is sort of an endless bout of sleaze coming out of the government. So, uh, and I think it was the biggest, not specifically because of the the event itself, but just because of what it started, which was just you know the Christmas party um, and, uh, you know, more recently the, the the two by-elections that the Lib Dems won. Mm. It's effectively just been, it, it was that beginning of um, sort of the end for the Conservative government at the moment, I think.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, th- I think you're right in, in saying that it was, I mean, a, a story that really electrified the political scene at the time that it happened and has had so many um, consequential uh, repercussions. I think what's interesting, as I was um, discussing with um, William Kajani on another recent podcast, is it's interesting how, with um, the Cummings affair, that was anger directed at one person for breaking the rules. Whereas, as you mentioned, the parties think that you know we've got anger directed at the entire government for seeming to um, break the rules and the restrictions that they uh, put in place. So it's, it's it's quite different in terms of I think the scope of anger and also the direction of anger. Um, George, if I could turn to you now. I mean, what do you think is the biggest sort of political story of the year as, as far as you're concerned, um, that isn't sort of, you know, the coronavirus pandemic? Um, I mean, I'm, I'm
1: going to perhaps go a bit away from toron and focus on something that doesn't even touch COVID, which was the fall of Afghanistan. I, I mm. think that's really huge, and I think... A lot of people talking about politics this year and where it's at. I mean, it's been a really weird year because we've had half the year where Boris Johnson, the Conservative Party, have looked unassailable. They've had gigantic leads in the polls. They had a really good set of local elections. They won the Hartlepool by-election. And then the other half, it's gone completely catastrophic. And then they've (laughs) they've (laughs) lost North Shropshire and, and all that's been weird. But what's been consistent this year, and I think that's something which is getting lost in all of this, is... There's been a consistent disaster of foreign policy. Um, We're perhaps going to see this continue to 2022 with the possible invasion of Ukraine, but the collapse of the Kabul government and the, um, well, the victory of the Taliban is possibly the biggest thing that happened this year because it's changed the geopolitical landscape so massively because the Taliban have now become... um, participants I believe or at least they're about to become participants in the Chinese Belt and Road program they're receiving mm-hmm. aid from them. and the shift of this and like the President Biden's isolation policies which kind of just continue the Trump era but in a more um, I, I don't use the phrase effective but a, a more meaningful way mm-hmm. have led to this so I, I think that's the most um, interesting and probably important thing that's happened this year not not to sound too full of
0: my own opinion <laughs> no, no no i mean i think in terms of um you know the international stakes it certainly has been one of the most uh, I- important uh things that has happened this year because i mean the u.s and coalition presence in afghanistan has been something that has been you know consistent for uh 20 odd years you know th- th- this isn't a sort of an ending to a short conflict. This is a, an ending to a, a conflict that has involved the United States for decades and decades and has, in one way or another, affected the presidencies of four US presidents. I mean, that is unprecedented in many ways, in the way that it has um, tarnished the reputations of some presidents and the way that it has um, in, in, indeed um, caused perhaps the downfall of certain presidents, for example, uh, George W. Bush. I mean, certainly By the time of uh, the end of uh, his presidency and the just utter disdain that the country had for him, um, the the Iraq uh, intervention was seen very much in a in a negative light, and for many people has been seen as a in a negative light since the um, invasions occurred in Iraq and Afghanistan. So it's bringing, it's bringing towards the end of a, a, a period of US politics that has been both fascinating and for many people, um, horrifying. Uh, Conrad, if I could turn to you, I mean, what do you think of as the sort of the, the big story uh, of this year in terms of uh, politics that isn't related to COVID or isn't COVID?
3: Well, I think the, the big ones have been taken um are we, are we
0: talking UK or just broader? well UK US wh- whatever you think is the on like the big
3: Cause I, I was going to say um the German election and mm-hmm. um the fact that Angela Merkel for the first time in you know since 2005 isn't Chancellor of Germany I think that's gonna be you know a big shift because she's been such a presence you know like on whether you agree with her or not you know I've don't agree with her on a lot but there's um there's still you know having a different person in there having a different government and the cdu not in power in mm. germany is gonna sort of shape the direction of the eu certainly in the next um next few years and you know i guess it's still we won't yet see i guess how what direction it will go in whether it will be um you know more to the left because it's the socialists in there and you've got the the greens as well so will that cause any kind of um shift towards more green policies what does it mean for energy in terms of you know merkel had quite a reliance on 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 russia um to, to for the in terms of getting energy um will it change that will it change that having greens in there and terms of russian gas and things like that um and yeah in terms of the sort of foreign policy of the fact that it has a foreign policy on because <laughs> I 'm not very happy about, but that it doesn't nonetheless and um the yeah how will it be affected by German election? I guess it's still the jury is still out um exactly how it will change, but I think that is that is going to be a major sort of thing we'll look back at and think well that that election was quite important for sort of the future of the west, i guess
0: yeah absolutely, and I think it's interesting as well. I mean, you mentioned that the, the length of time that Angela Merkel has been chancellor again is almost of a, a similar length to uh, the United States and the coalition, um, you know, in, invasion and intervention in Iraq and Afghanistan. And we're seeing really the end of uh, very much a sort of um, political uh, age that was, you know, involving, as, as Conrad mentioned um, you know, great European foreign policy, foreign policy efforts, uh, which were sometimes, you know, at a, a, a disadvantage to um, the foreign policy efforts of the United States, was ending in seeing an end of perhaps great interventionism. We're not, we perhaps won't see as much interventionism. I mean, what is that going to sort of like say for, uh, you know, the rest of the world in terms of how much certain countries uh, rely on protection either from United States or from other nations against nations that threaten them. I'm thinking of um, Taiwan, for example. You know, I mean, w- what is it going to signify? We, we we do really seem to be at a, a turning point when we have a, a, a US commander in chief who is more of a uh, an, an isolationist than perhaps previous presidents following on um, from Trump's sort of appeal to uh, isolationism on the world stage in, in terms of intervention. So, I'd like to now um, open the floor in terms of that as a a question. Um, Looking at international politics in the last year, I mean, do we sort of consider it perhaps to be a turning point? Do you think things are really going to dramatically change going into 2022 in terms of international politics? Or is it just, you know, Merkel going, um, Afghanistan ending? They're just sort of like blips, but the general trend of international politics isn't going to change too much i mean anyone can jump in with what they with what they think
3: i guess i think the the french election is going to be a big thing in this in which way that goes um obviously if macron's re-elected then nothing much will change but obviously there's you know progress there's the there's um, Le Pen, there's the more, you know, and each one of those would have a, a very different sort of foreign policy to what Macron has, mm-hmm. and um, obviously, you know, along with Germany, France is the other big country in the EU that had sort of shifts and sort of had, has shifts the direction of how that how that EU is on the world stage, and um, yeah, M- Macron and Merkel were quite close together and quite similar in terms of their policies. Mm-hmm. Um, on the international stage at least, but and um, mm. um, well, quite a lot of the on the domestic stage as well, to be honest. But um, yeah. yeah, I mean, there's very, very different <laughs> kinds <laughs> of politicians who could win the French presidency that would, mm. would shift it, you know, very much so. And I think if, if, any, if you know, if Zemmour won or if Le Pen won, that would be, you know... The gargantuan shift in in international politics, really.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, Torrin what are what are your thoughts in in terms of that? In terms of the shifts of international politics that we've seen uh, of late.
2: I mean, I think the, the the big one, and it kind of picks up on on what George said about um, the Belt and Road Initiative. Um, I was sad enough to pick it as my dissertation subject, uh, which was a very very fun few weeks, but. I honestly think that's one of the things that's been shifting behind the scenes, and yet hasn't really been picked up on. Um, in part, because obviously, if you go to you know the general person and say, "Do you know what the Belt and Road Initiative is?" The answer is probably not, because it's it's this enormous project. It covers you know a huge number of countries, and yet it, it barely gets any coverage. And I think that especially with the situation with sort of debt-trap diplomacy that um, China has been using, effectively putting countries that are already struggling, giving them massive infrastructure projects, um, like in areas like Pakistan, Sri Lanka, um, Djibouti, all of those kind of areas, they they get into these these massive debt traps and they can't do anything about it. Um, And some of these are in very strategic locations. I mean, Djibouti is literally next to a choke point um, and so you, you kind of have these. I, I think those, those things, you know, is it certain that anything will happen, um, in the next year with the Belt and Road Initiative? It isn't, but at the same time, the potential for stuff to happen there or stuff to go wrong even is, is quite large as that project expands further. And it, as I said, it already has an enormous number of countries involved with it. So, you know, I think that would be something in my eyes, to sort of keep an eye on in the next year is what happens with that. Because, as I said, it could either be all silence or there could be quite a lot of action on on China's end of things.
0: Mm. Absolutely. I I think you're right in terms of the, um, I mean, the Belt and Road Initiative is perhaps one of the biggest things that's going on in international politics that so few people um, know about and so few people are engaged with. So, I mean, I think you're, you're totally right to, to pick up on that. Um, George, I mean, what are your thoughts in, in terms of, you know, the changes in international politics? Do you think that with Merkel going and Afghanistan that this is just a blip or we're going to be seeing a, a bigger sort of seismic change in international politics?
1: I think it's not going to be so much
0: as a massive seismic change,
1: but I think it's going to be the consolidation of a bit of an international decline kind of the West, which has been going on for a little while now. Not to sound like too much of a pessimist here. Um, <laughs> so um, basically, what, what what I think of is, um, and I might be biased because I'm currently uh, reading through Land, which um, we'll have the pleasure of interviewing the author for about. But I I currently look at the world stage now that Merkel's gone, and I I look at you know the political players who are there, and there's not particularly menacing or important in the West side like. President Joe Biden is very, as I said, isolationist. And I think it's going to get worse as it, his presidency goes on because by November time, we're going to have the midterm elections and um, it's not going to go well for him. Uh, I don't think he's going to, to put it back. I think he's going to lose control of the House, possibly the Senate. And history tells us that when a president doesn't have control of either House, it doesn't go well for them with foreign policy they don't get what to do what they want to do um obama was hamstrung in his attempts to go into syria uh Rudra wilson was forced to like abandon the league of nations which he set up um, it just never goes well for them mm. I, I think 2022 um i can't even say the year i'm that frightened of it Essentially <laughs> going to be a year mad things occur on the geopolitical stage and there is general responses what can we do about it and I think that 's probably what 's going to happen with ukraine. I, I reckon it 's going to be invaded, and we 'll send sanctions to russia 's doorstep We'll provide you know aid and money to the ukrainians but I, I think it'll be a lot more muted, rather like the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan, except hmm. probably less profitable for how it comes out for us being the complete destruction of the um, hmm military and political will to carry on the war. I, I, But that's speaking in quite certain terms about something which changes every day. Mm.
3: Yeah, I've yeah absolutely.
1: A, I've got a very gloomy and kind of late 70s-esque view of international
0: politics at the moment. <laughs> Hopefully that isn't um, influenced too much by reading um, Rick Perlstein's excellent book, Reagan Land. Hopefully that...
1: <laughs> um, it really is... Um, Because I'm also um, going to be in January rereading When the Lights Went Out, uh, which is a fantastic social history on Britain in the 70s, which also gets to grip with the whole uh, real doom and gloom of that decade, because I I get the feeling I'm going to need to um, understand it a bit more. Given,
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, I think we're all probably going to have to understand it a bit more. But I mean, turning away from international politics for a moment and looking back at the UK... Obviously, we have um, briefly touched upon, you know, things that have happened with Boris Johnson and the Conservative government, with Dominic Cummings and the various parties, etc. But what is going to ultimately come of this? Do we think that it's going to be, you know, the downfall of him uh, as as, as leader of the party? Obviously, unless something incredibly radically um, different changes we're still going to have a Conservative government for the next few years, no matter who the Prime Minister is. But are we going to be seeing the the end of Boris Johnson in 2022? And who will we potentially be seeing in the running to replace him? Again, opening the floor, whoever wants to, to come in to respond to that first.
2: I honestly think that my guess is... I mean, firstly, I don't—I I never like being handed crystal balls um, because you never know what's going <laughs> to happen in terms of... It's OK. So you never know what's going to happen in terms of predictions. So it is a really difficult one because, on, on the one hand, I'd go, oh, well, you know, obviously any politician at this point has got to be finished, but also then I remember it is Boris. Mm. And and that that's a difficult one, which is, you know, we've not really seen a, an enormous test of him yet. So, you know, we've, we've had the two by-elections, as I said earlier, that the Lib Dems have won. But the issue with by-elections, of course, is you're not actually going to change the, the seat makeup of the country. Mm. You are going to change it by one seat. You know that Boris will still have a majority at the end of the day. It gives you an opportunity to say, I'm not happy with the situation at the moment. Mm. Um, and, you know, when I saw the whole Barnard Castle palaver, I thought, well, you know, that's, that's going to be it. And it, it wasn't. Boris was still there. And and it sort of he certainly didn't ride over it easily, but then it sort of just got lost. And and that's my worry now, which is that you know yeah he he may be able to stick around. Um, I think his time is probably limited. I think someone like Rishi Sunak is is in the background waiting, um, and will probably uh, jump at some point towards leadership. So I think Boris's issue right now is is very much internally. Um, that there'll be Conservative MPs. So I think it's it. The, the best way I could describe it is probably the beginning of the end.
0: Mm. Yeah, I think that that's certainly a sentiment that a lot of people uh, have. Um, I mean, Conrad, as someone who is in fact a Conservative member who supported um, Boris, I mean, w- what do you see as his potential future? Do you think that his time is limited? Do you think that he'll be able to get around this? I mean, what do you think? Well, I
3: mean... I don't think there's going to be any immediate thing, you know, moves to sort of shift him unless something like really bad comes out, you know, of like some picture of him, you know, in a legal rave or something like that. Then maybe, you know, he'd have to go immediately. But I think, you know, notwithstanding that, I think he's safe at least for the next few months. But I guess it's. Um, you know, this has he has been damaged certainly over the last few few sort of weeks and months. Um you know, and especially with the um sort of all these Christmas party stuff. I know, you know, might seem it silly, but it does seem to have cut through to a lot of people mm. and um, you know, it's made them see the government a lot more negatively than they did before. Mm. You know, where I think a lot of people, you know, they're not exactly excited to vote Kirstenama, but they're Not saying they don't want to particularly want to vote conservative at the moment, or they're you know not too enthusiastic about it. I think obviously, you know, there are other candidates you mentioned, Rishi Sunak, and there's also people like Liz Truss, there's also backbenchers like you know Mark Harper or Graham Brady who are sort of waiting around and I'm sure would you know want another punt at it. Mm. So that you know, there's certainly not a lack of ambition from the other members, but. Yeah, I think I think certainly if he brings another lockdown, I think that will lose him a lot of support amongst Conservative members um from the people, you know, who've you know supported him through his Brexit views, thought he was the man to get Brexit done and he was. But has he done anything else that's, you know, particularly conservative since then? Probably not. So mm um yeah i think there's all cuz cause it's cause, i mean it's not just the the covid response but there's things like the um all the the migration crisis in the channel that is you know a lot of conservatives are very concerned about that and conservative leaning voters as well so you know there's lots of areas where i think he just needs to get a grip essentially and
0: start you know governing like he promised mm. <laughs> I mean, George, what are your thoughts relating to this? Do you think that next year we are going to see um, the end of Boris Johnson, you know, other people going into the roles, Prime Minister Rishi Rishi Sunak, uh, Liz Truss, whoever, or do you think he's going to be able to to cling on?
1: Um, Will he be able to cling on? That's a pretty loaded question. Um (laughs) I just want to say thank you to Conrad for reminding me of Graham Brady's leadership attempt because I forgot about it and it brings me joy whenever I think about it because he just didn't... Because he resigned from the 1922 committee to run, didn't run, and then just became chair of it again like nothing happened, and I love it. So, to answer your question, I think what's going to happen is Boris is going to cling on. I think that the Conservative Party in its infighting, much like my party's infighting, will do what it does best and kind of just start... Um, Tearing chunks out of each other in privately, occasionally it's spilling over into public. We've already seen this with the fact that Steve Baker has kicked Nadine Doris out of the um, WhatsApp group chat and has started actually undermining and um, putting sarky comments on BBC Breakfast whenever Dominic Grabs on it, like he did today, for instance. I don't think it's going to get into a lot of briefing because most people are starting to think in terms of post-Boris, and when you're a prime minister like that, you're stuffed. Um, I think what will most likely happen is he's going to limp on until about May when the local elections happen. And I honestly say I reckon he's in for a thumping. And I reckon given the fact that there's by-elections being specced right now for Dellen and for Wakefield, those two are probably going to go back our way. Mm-hmm. And it's going to create a situation where his position becomes untenable with the Conservative Party, at least with its MPs, since they tend to back winners. Um, and when they aren't winners, they're gone. Um, the only exception to that being William Hague. Who is him? I don't know, honestly. Um, that's up to people like Conrad, and I can't say I, I would know who I would pick in this situation. I But I think, no matter who wins, I think all of them are facing the same thing, which is why I've been reading Reagan, and why I'm rereading When the Lights Went Out, because I think that this decade is going to be defined by kind of like a, a poisoned chalice of government, which is... I mean, Conrad kind of hinted at it, which is the uh, migrant crisis being one aspect of it, but no matter which Tories in government, all of them have got to face the issues of the fact that the National Health Service is currently overstretched and in dire need of some level of reform, which is a massive political effort. The immigration system needs massive reform, which is a humongous political effort. The climate crisis is getting worse, and it wasn't fixed at COP26 Income close to being fixed at COP26, and that's going to require a lot of political effort and a lot of funding. Leveling up requires a lot of political effort. And of course, the cost of living crisis that's occurring right now since inflation is returning and fuel prices are going up. All, all of these things by themselves are humongous political issues. Having them happen all roughly around about the same time and kind of overlapping each other is catastrophic. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't say that, you know, with any kind of political antenna. It's just a general fact. It's not a good situation for any government to be in. And, you know, I'm obviously biased. I, I look at the current prime minister and his would-be successors, and I don't think any of them are up to the task of mm-hmm. dealing with one of them properly, let alone all of them. But I, I worry about that, and I really do. So I I think whoever takes over Boris Johnson, I don't think it's going to be a student person. I'm leaning towards either Liz Truss or someone a bit more obscure, He's going to have to deal with that. My only hope is that uh, the rumours are true and Matt Hancock does a run
0: for it because, God, I would love to see that. (laughs) (laughs) I think that that would certainly uh, be uh, an an, an interesting uh, run for the uh, for the leadership of Matt Hancock, given uh, everything that happened. Uh, with him was to attempt to run for the leadership of the Conservative Party. It, 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 would, certainly, it would certainly be a run that people would uh, remember and you know, would be of uh, interest to a lot of different people. So we're going to turn uh, to the final question uh, now for you as, as we come towards the end of this look back, this live look back on 2021. And the final question uh, for you three is this. 2022 is going to be a new year it's going to be a, a new dawn we'll see uh, what will come in that year but if you were to see one massive change in 2022 what would be that one massive change it doesn't necessarily have to be to do with politics it can be to do with something uh in culture or television but one big change in 2022, uh, whoever wants to start, whoever's got an idea, can pitch in first.
2: Can I just say, COVID disappearing? Yes, that I kind of know. It's probably what we're all thinking, but yeah. uh, like that's honestly that's the um, the only one that I could it was just at the front of my mind, and I was thinking, uh, you know, I spoke to in Wales at the moment, and we're probably probably heading into a, another lockdown here, if not in England as well. And um, yeah, I, I would have to say that given it's it's on the news every day and it's kind of the thing at the front of everyone's minds, um, that would that would have to be.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think that that's certainly, like you say, Tori, one of the, the big ones that I think is at the front of uh, everybody's minds. Conrad, I mean, what do you think is the sort of like the one big change that you would really like to see next year? Well, I mean,
3: yeah, aside from COVID disappearing, which is, yeah, everyone would like that. Or or even if it didn't disappear you know living as if it if it wasn't there <laughs> at least but um yeah aside from those um i think i think the the big change needs to be something to do with um taxes i think we need you know i've the national insurance increase coming up should be scrapped and we need to actually start you know with the cost of living going up so much, I think we need to let people keep a bit more of their own money
0: they're earning. George, what would be the uh, big change that you would like to see in 2022?
1: Well, um, since Torren's taken the big one away, <laughs> I'm going to cope go with my um, usual wish that I wish would happen every year, which is that miraculously... Parliament would just decide, yeah, we're going to reverse the beaching cuts and all the local train lines come back uh, because infrastructure is on the floor. It all needs reform. Um, I say this as somebody who's suffered with train lines for years. Hmm. And what I would really like in 2022 is if just suddenly loads of little local lines came back all of a sudden. There were more options for commuters. It worked properly. I wasn't reliant on just one big line going from Wakefield to Leeds or to York or whatever. So that would be my big wish um but in case that's not deliverable I'd just settle for Femi releasing a um plug in keyboard album <laughs>
0: <laughs> I think I think that, that would be a uh, certainly um something we could all enjoy I'm, I'm not sure how much he would um in, in enjoy the reception to that backstory. but
1: <laughs> Um, Actually, as well, if I might just hijack this podcast for a Mm -hmm. second, I I did prepare something, and I I wanted to spring this on all of you, um, since this is a live thing, and I was digging around the archives of my podcast, and um, I realised that most of this year kind of just gets forgotten about whenever people talk about politics in retrospective, and I've got a quiz um, from what I call the guff part of this year, which was like from about May to September time, and I was wondering if I could test your political memories, if that's okay
0: with Will. Yeah, no, that's fine. I mean, give it a go. I mean we'll probably all fail because uh, <laughs> as you say, it's it's from a part of the year that everybody's uh, forgotten about. But if you if you want to give that a go, George, then I'm more than happy to go along with that.
1: Excellent. Uh, Comrade Torrin, are you up for this? Sure. <laughs> as
2: up for it as I can be with a part of the year that I didn't pay attention to.
1: And so I noted the absolute fear from both of you in that. Um so this should be... <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, well, let, we'll try and go through this. I'm going to give the answers to each question as we go along, because I don't think anyone's got pen and paper handy, so let's just go. Um, the first question is, can you name me, the three cabinet members of the government who were sent to the back benches in the reshuffle, and for an extra bonus point, uh, can you tell me what position they held before they were reshuffled? They've got about... Um, just ten seconds there. Which um, <laughs> I get um, I'm just going to write down your names here, just so I can keep track of the score. I've got them back bad. at school again.
3: My <laughs> <laughs> oh, mind's trying to remember.
1: Oh, good lord. Um, well, since he's been starting the whole time, let's start
0: with Will. Will, have you got the answers uh, you'd like to give? Uh, oh, oh God. Um, you see, I feel like this is almost revenge um, from all the times that I have uh, come up with questions to uh, <laughs> to surprise people and to keep people um, on their toes. I feel that this is, in fact, probably the perfect re- revenge. This is George's catharsis. Um, <laughs> no, I've no idea. Off the top of my Conrad, head. Conrad,
1: do you have any idea of an answer?
3: Um, uh, no. No.
1: <laughs> You've got, you've got nothing here. This all lies on Torin. Torrin, have you got anything?
2: I didn't even remember that the reshuffle had happened. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, wait. Yeah, there was a, there was a reshuffle at that point. I went, I can't remember who
3: they were, though. Okay, I'm going to give you the answer. I guess that, um, that shows a successful reshuffle for Boris. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> noticed.
1: So the, the, the nobodies who we... All fail to remember is Gavin Williamson, the Education Secretary; um, Robert Jenrick, the Housing, Communities, and Local Government Secretary, last of his kind since Michael Gove absorbed that to become Minister of Leveling Up; and Robert Buckland, who was Justice Minister. Do we remember these people? Yes, we do remember them. I just don't think we remember the big reshuffle. Gavin
2: Williamson, yeah. because
3: it of the whole like a different era, doesn't it?
1: Yeah, this was all back in uh, what July as well. So this is. This just shows how this year has stretched out so long politically. Um, okay, question two. Um, Matt Hancock was forced to resign after his affair was outed to the press. But can, for two points, can you tell me which outlet broke the story and at what time of day the story broke? So, again, you've got ten seconds there just to kind of wow. briefly
3: See the I'll old say, man. I want to say the sun, but I don't know yeah. if that's right. I don't okay, know the so time of day.
0: I think it oh, was no, the sun. Was Can't was it, it was it was it about eleven o'clock at night? I remember it being quite late. So are you
1: saying about eleven o'clock at night and the sun will? Yes. Uh, Torin, what are you, are you saying? The sun as well. I would guess the sun. Absolutely no idea when it
2: broke. I'd say <laughs> it, it will have to be somewhere like you know twelve o'clock at night. Oh, okay. So I'm just going to go thinking... random time and see if it works. <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, well, on the basis of the fact that it's a very niche thing to remember, I'm going to give Will and uh, Torren two points and Conrad one, because you're all right. It was the son who broke the story. Um, it was, however, at 1am, which is oh, quite true to the story, because he fled in the night to avoid questions from the press, which resulted in him waking up his kid to tell him, I'm going now, as his wife revealed to the tabloids weeks later. Wow. I know. Let's see. see. The Matt Hancock resignation... This year, I, I keep forgetting it happened. Um, this should be a nice easy one, question three. Um, here Starmer released a Fabian Society essay which claimed to be how many words long?
0: Was it 12,000?
1: Well, going for 12,000. Uh, Conrad?
3: Yeah, no, it was far too long. <laughs> um, <laughs> it, I feel like it was maybe even longer, like 13,000. Sorry? I feel like yeah, maybe 13,000, maybe even longer than, the, than what Will said. Okay, Torin, I'm going to up that bet and go
2: fifteen thousand. <laughs> <laughs> I,
1: I like, like this
2: game out. of poker.
1: <laughs> none of you got it right, and both Torin and Conrad were f- exactly thousand out because it was fourteen thousand words. <laughs> but of course, it claimed to be that long, but actually it was twelve thousand and six hundred words long. He um, resigned. Have... <laughs> <But> I, I... <laughs>
3: so <laughs> I guess I was the closest then if you go on the
1: actual workout I, I, well, yes but we're not going to because no, uh, no. That... <laughs> because we're going how long it was claimed to be um, this one so I've I've done a bit of Tory bashing a bit of Labour bashing time for a bit of Lib Dem bashing uh, can anyone name the Lib Dem spokesperson on education
0: is it, is it Leila Moran you're going Leila Moran Will I'm going to go Alistair Carmichael simply because he was the first guest on the podcast. Um, Sorry? Daisy Cooper?
1: Well done, Conrad. One point. Oh. Um, Yeah, um, Conrad got that one right. Uh, It is Leila Moran. When I asked this question on my own, nobody got it. (laughs) Which is fantastic. Um, So let me just update your scores here. It's actually currently a dead heat as well, so there's all to play for. And there we go. Right. Um, The Rise for Politics for All, that Twitter account we all love, um, has been shrouded in a series of beefs online. Can you tell me two big political players that the Twitter page has beefed with this year?
3: Simone Hannah.
0: (laughs) 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 Was, was one of them Britain elect? Okay, I'm. Um, I don't know
1: if I can accept that because that's not what I've got written down <laughs> on my sheet. But I wrote this down um, September, so <clears throat> I I could be open to accepting that. But does anyone
3: have any other answers? I feel like I don't know. I feel like someone like Nadine Dorries would have route with them. I don't know. Probably I'm trying to remember.
1: Okay, so since we're a bit stumped by that one, I'll give you the answer. Uh, the answers are Nicki Minaj um, and Keir Starmer. Really? Like, no, that's. that's... <laughs> <laughs> There's the answers. Yes, uh, Nicki Minaj, you might remember, tweeted about her cousin having a vaccine in Trinidad and how that caused his testicles to swell. Um, well. Politics for All got in on that, started tweeting about it, and his page was attacked by Nicki Minaj stands, and he did that thing he does where he decides to go personal with it and started an actual beef with the account, um, with Nicki Minaj's account, tagging her in it and stuff, and her fan accounts, which was amazing. Um, The other one was Keir Starmer, because Politics for All leaked the Fabian Society essay that we were talking about before, and his team sent him defamation threats. Oh, wow. Yeah. (laughs) I will accept Britain Alex, because Britain Alex has also gone for him, thank God. And I'm happy with that. So, <laughs> we then have the final question, which is actually the trademark of my podcast, Red Rose Reporting. Go listen, it's great. Um, which is politician or partridge? Um, it's quite simple, really. I'm going to give you two statements. One's from a politician, one from partridge. Um, the victim this time is Matt Hancock. And this relates to the fact that he tried to re-enter public life with a bit of a relaunch campaign. Now, I need you to tell me whether this is an excerpt from Alan Partridge's Mid-Morning Matters, or if this is a narration I've carefully worded from the walk-and-talk video Matt made with his constituents. Statement one. There we go. Fist bump, I say as I greet a worker in a fish-and-chip shop, before adding, how are you doing? How's business? Statement two. Oh, you combine the card with a handshake. I used to do that, but kept getting it wrong. Gave a paper cut to a man from Nestlé.
0: The uh, first one is Matt Hancock, and the second one is Alan Partridge.
1: Okay, um, are you agreeing with that comment, or dissenting? Yeah, I agree. Yeah, um, and <laughs> I
2: think I think that sounds roughly right. To be
1: honest, well done. You're all bang right. <laughs> I love that video so much. He just looks so sad wandering on his Tad to Santa in disbelief that someone said something nice to him. Um, but that that was the quiz I brought along from the guff part of the year that we all forgot about. Um, I'm, I'm glad that I could use this for another life. And yes, thank you for letting me hijack the uh, podcast well. No, it's not a
0: problem at all. I think that that was probably one of the best organized parts of the podcast. <laughs> so I... I thank you for bringing that organisational skill to uh, to the podcast, George.
1: It's okay. It's, I, I always end my podcasts with a gimmick um, because, as you can tell, I, I like to um, have a laugh with it. And I'm, I'm also pleased to say all three of you are tied in first
0: place. So uh, well done there, guys. Excellent. Well, um, on that note, I think we will uh, end this uh, live episode of the podcast. Apologies that it hasn't gone exactly um, according to plan for people Uh, listening. I hope those who have listened have enjoyed it, whether you're listening live or whether you're listening to the edited version, which will be released not long after the uh, live stream has uh, gone out, probably within a a day or two. So I hope you've enjoyed it. Um, For my guests, if people want to follow you, if people want to find out more about you, uh, where should they go to follow you and to find out more about you? George, where should people go to find out more about you?
1: Well, if they're mad enough to want to do that, they should probably head to Twitter, because that's where I live. Um, I'm at Fabian Fairhurst, spelt like The Society, and if you want to follow my podcast, Red Rose Reporting, which I eventually plan on having a consistent uploading schedule for, you can follow us at Red Reporting on Twitter, at Red Rose Reporting on Facebook, and at Red Reporting on Instagram of all places. So, check us out there.
0: Conrad, if people want to follow you or find out more about you, where should they go? Um...
3: I'm not that that interesting, but um, yeah, my Twitter is Conrad underscore Lew, L-E-W.
0: Excellent. And Torrin, finally, last but not least, where should people go if they want to find out more about you? It's a very simple one
2: because of my name being so complicated. (laughs) Uh, On Facebook and on Twitter, uh, at Torrin Wilkins. And if you want to follow Centre, again, it is at Centre Think Tank on both of them.
0: Well, thank you once again for everyone who has listened to this episode of the podcast and everyone who has joined in the podcast. I'm going to end with saying I hope you all have a wonderful Christmas, a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of the podcast. If you've enjoyed it, you can subscribe to us on iTunes, Spotify, Podbeam and Amazon Music. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Debated Podcast, like us on Facebook debated podcast and if you'd like to get in touch with us whether about appearing on an episode of the podcast or commenting on an episode that you've listened to you can do so at the at gmail.com thank you for listening i hope you listen to the next one dude we are going to
1: energize the country we need to wake up and smell the coffee the independence keys is a powerful one
0: another future is possible but we've got to fight for it
1: order